Hello, this is John Renaud, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival via the CEF.world. Check us out, Uncommon Genius for the Common Types. Well, you're a little, you're a little, you're a little jacked up right now. I've had too much coffee, yeah, I was brother. Saying, you had two cups of coffee since I've been here. I don't know what you had. I'm going for one more. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> you know what? I'll make a go for a cup of coffee now that you mention it. That'd be kind of cool. We're sipping out coffee while we're talking. Well, I'm going to get you a cup of coffee, then uh, we're going to start this uh, bad boy. But can I have cream? Do you have cream? Brother, you want cream? We got cream. Okay, good. We got cream. We got honey. We got brown sugar. We're set to go. I like to take all three of those. If that's, you know, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. I think we're getting good, man. I think the level check's kind of looking good. Okay. I think you're looking very pretty there. Well, I'm just trying to keep up with the competition. Man, I wish I was half as good looking as that. <laughs> you're the general, man. You don't. Need, you're ruggedly I'm, handsome. My, no, my whole thing is called ugly. <laughs> no, you're ruggedly handsome. You're the general. You know, it's, it's funny because we always tend to judge because I don't think I'm very photogenic at all. Like I like in in it, we tend to be harder on ourselves than than most people. You know. Oh, that sounds good. A little echo. Yeah. Are you are you using a reverb? No, it's just on. It shouldn't be coming out. I got to change that. Okay. Because I can hear myself, and that's really beginning to freak me. Now you now can't I hear. Can't. There, there it goes, go. baby. There you go. Oh, I think the level's really hot. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think we're good. I got a line buzz too, so I got to fix that. But let me get that coffee, and then we'll go. Man. Yeah, let me help you if that's okay. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Beautiful, wow. man. Hey, so hey. Uh, Terry, if you would be so kind as to perhaps uh, do this difficult task of introducing the show. Must I? Yes. Okay. Must, right. must you must. If I must. All right. Hi, I'm Terry McCoy, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival with your host and my good friend, John Renaud. That's fantastic. Now do it for real. Oh, that was my best, <laughs> man. Come on. <laughs> no, that was good, dude. Good, 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 good. So I'm here today with Terry. Terry and I, uh, we tend to uh, practice a little violence together. We have a, our own little dojo, and uh, he helps me practice some things and vice versa, hopefully. Um, and today we opted, it was raining outside in L.A., so we opted to sit down and, and do a podcast Terry also has some other interesting things going on. He's producing an upcoming film, yes. uh, which he's been kind enough to let me be a part of. And I also really wanted to um, just first off, why don't we talk about where you come from? Where are you from, brother? Uh, Chicago initially. Oh, not Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Did you know I'm from Detroit and you still showed up here? Yeah, we 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 actually have talked about that, and I've forgiven you, so it's okay. Don't worry about forgiving it. me. Yeah, I mean, for coming from the better I mean, place, you have your shortcomings, but for the most part, you're, you're <laughs> well. Okay anyone down. from Detroit has their shortcomings. That's a that's a no brain. That's an easy target, brother. So so Chicago, and then so you born and raised in Chicago, born and raised, yes, the sir. city itself. Not yes. uh, you're not a suburban kid, I assume. No, well, later on in life, I I did move to the suburbs, but initially was on the west side of Chicago. Maybe wow, the approximately, west side. yeah, approximately about. Three miles, three four miles from Cabrini Green, just to give you a a context of where I was. Right. Uh, it was Division in Oakley was the street, uh, the major street. But I grew up on Oakley, um, so yeah. And later on, as we moved into high school, 
our parents moved us out. It's like the George Jeffersons. We moved up. Moving on up, yeah, baby. Yeah, moving on up, moving on was out. Was it the east side? No. Unfortunately, no. It was it was uh, the old park side. I that, that might have actually it might have been east. See, it was oh, east from you. where you like, were coming yeah, from, nice, baby. Nice, nice. <laughs> moving on up. But yeah, we, we did move to the suburbs, and that was like that. That first house was one of my favorite houses. Like, That's cool. Yeah, like I did. You know, growing up from the age of fifteen until we moved, and I think I was like seventeen when we moved to the ladder, the other house. But yeah. Well, I'm gonna still get back and follow the the whole you know, the brief history of you coming to uh, L.A. and all. So when you moved to the house, I remember we talked about kind of um, coming from a little bit of the downside. And uh, we were comparing some notes on, and of course, I was a suburban kid, so it is slightly different. But, uh, you know, I was telling you about the yard that my dad had to, I don't know if I told you the story, we had to fix he brought in a bunch of dump dump trucks and loaded up the backyard with dirt because our yard was actually, if it rained, would get flooded compared to the neighbor's yard and st- weird stuff like that. But you had a house with a hole in the roof. Yeah. Which, was that the city house or the suburb That house? was the city house. It's funny because you don't know. I mean, we had a hole in the roof. Right. Uh, but... It was normal. Like, it wasn't like we were ashamed of the hole in the roof, you know? No, just, that's what we talked just, about. Like, just, as a kid, yeah, it's just part when of the you house. see stuff, you're like, yeah. hey, let's go look at the hole, see what the weather... I mean, it, I'm it, sure it, you could look and see what the weather was like, Well, see, right? no, unfortunately, no, because this house that we grew up in, um, before we moved to the suburbs, had a upstairs, downstairs, uh, and a basement. It was a house perfect for a kid, right. because we had a backyard and a front yard. It was right. so much room. And in Chicago, as you know, it gets really cold. Yeah. So when it was really cold... We still had room to run and play because we had upstairs and downstairs. It was a so like we, we couldn't really see the weather from where we were, yeah. like because we had the upstairs. Yeah, but it was it was always uh, like I said, it was a perfect house for growing up because we had so much room and so much space. Yeah, that's what we had talked yeah. about as well. Yeah, but the roof, the hole in the roof was just that was just our house. You know, we it, I think we talked about this in late too. Like you don't know what you. Exactly. Have yeah, because yeah. it was so much love in the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, that's what we were talking about, like as a kid, what you don't really you know, we were talking about not having money as kids, basically. Yeah. And we were yeah. doing a little comparison. And the truth is, like as a kid, you don't at least with with my family, we didn't know that we were kind of poor from no. the neighborhood. No, no. Because everybody else around us was in the same boat. Yeah. You know, and we we never went hungry. Yeah. Uh we never didn't have clothes yeah. you know um we had cars we had my mom and dad both had a car my mom didn't learn how to drive until um later on like when i was almost in high school because yeah. she said she wanted to learn how to drive so she could take us back and forth to high school and stuff so we never lacked anything we didn't have excessive amount i mean every christmas we got toys yeah so we never lacked anything so you you know you you were happy you were loved you were well fed so because you didn't know what you know you didn't have these ideas of what else you were supposed to have you yeah. know even if you see a movie so you go okay people get christmas presents uh, you know if, if you're from that family you know uh, you know, if you're Jewish, obviously you're not necessarily getting Christmas presents, but you see it in a movie and then it happens to you. So you assume, well, everything's normal. Yeah, everything's normal. What, yeah. what do I have to kick about, right? Yeah. yeah, the only thing that we didn't do, like I guess a lot of people do or most people do, is we didn't do uh, birthdays. Oh, you know, we never had a birthday party. Like I never had a birthday cake until I was in college. Yeah, until like, it was like I was in college and like I have some friends who would, you know, celebrate my birthday. Once they found out my birthday, they had cake. And you're like, First time oh, I had this a cake. Is weird. What's like, going on? Yeah, man? what's going on? You know, actually, no, I take that back. It was my, I had 
a good friend and his mom and dad almost kind of like adopted me not without right. adopting me. you know like they right. treated me like i was their son and it, it was interesting the interesting thing about it is that they didn't like me when they first saw me like the mom right. didn't like me you know like my friend was puerto rican and i was i'm obviously black so she wasn't very comfortable around black people right. all her experience with black people had been on television and in the image that those yeah. were portrayed so she wasn't really comfortable around black people but, but as she got to know me and everything she began to treat treat me like her son so they gave me my first birthday yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting and yeah. so why did your family not consider you know birthdays celebratory Why? that's that's a very good i never asked my mom that like i don't interesting i don't know i guess because where she grew up they didn't do that yeah. they didn't do the the whole birthday party thing you know so just you know she just passed it down i mean like again like i said we didn't we never missed it like i was never like oh my mom didn't do a birthday. no because birthday. you didn't yeah. expect it I yeah guess, i expect right? it and like i said we were always well fed and loved and you know, we my mom would bake cakes from time to time, so we you know birthday cake. We, yeah. had, we just we just had cake cake two weeks ago, so why don't we really need a birthday cake? So we don't get those things. You don't really expect those things until you become in contact with other children yeah. who have those. Because my sisters, I guess women think differently, but but my sisters, especially my baby sister Allison. She started to want to have birthday parties, yeah. which was interesting. You know, you know it's kind of interesting. It's like knowledge, right? Like yeah. if you don't have the knowledge, it's like, oh, everything's kind of cool. Yeah. And then yeah, doesn't everyone? I think that's what you said. Doesn't yeah. everyone have a hole in their roof? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you start to find out, like, yeah. wow, I was by my buddy's house. He doesn't have a hole in yeah, the roof. Exactly. What's going on yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. You know, you then know. they're going, you got a hole in your yeah. roof. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been there all, every, all my whole life. Almost, I don't. Yeah, it's part of it. So you uh, started in the city, moved to a more suburban setting, mm-hmm. and then uh, did you end up going to a university? Uh, no, I went to uh, a college. I did go to college, uh-huh. uh, but not a university. It was uh, Columbia College in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, downtown, mostly an art school. I uh, went there for... Oh, you didn't study acting, did you? I Well, well yeah, I oh, did. Oh, that's such a I, terrible pursuit. Yeah, Wait a minute. Whoa, you're an actor? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, actor. I actually went for directing, but like always in my heart, I was a kind of actor-writer. Right. But uh, I've always... Uh, initially, I went as a producer because, you know... I, I, that's okay. I wanted to um, produce. I wanted to be in charge of what I what products I was going to work for or things I was going to do or roles right. I was going to portray. So yeah, uh, I went to Columbia. I was there for three years and then they had this program, which will, maybe I'm just getting, jumping ahead, but it led me to California. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've always wanted to move to either to California or Miami because, you know, Chicago's cold, you know. And, I know coming from Detroit, yeah. Chicago's cold. It's very, very cold and the winters are long. Yeah. And I was just tired of waking up and, freezing my butt off and having to go out an hour early to dig your car yeah. in the snow and yeah people i mean my son was born in california and he, he knows it only by visiting and it's like snow is cool to him and it is to me too but i think your point's well made when yeah. you got to spend a half an hour to get your your windshield clean enough to drive yeah clear enough to drive you yeah. know what i mean yeah it's a whole different thing yeah yeah i at this point in my life i don't care if i ever seen see snow there you I, go. I just, like i don't even think about i'll it. visit it in you know like big bear or something yeah. from time to time and that's about it for yeah, me. yeah that's you're a good man because i don't even want to go yeah. to big bear i mean it, like people talk to me oh you should learn how to ski it's like yeah i would yeah. like to, have to ski i learn how to ski leg if it wasn't for snow yeah <laughs> you know I, 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 water skiing 
water skiing. There you go. Oh, like I don't know what. Why don't people ski on sand? Yeah. Like I mean, all this, all these sand dunes. Can you? Ski yeah, they on do. This? Some people do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah, find yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, on YouTube, okay. Because I, I rather, I, I'll do that. Yeah. You know, I learn how to ski on sand. Sand skiing, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's probably softer, right? Well, it's funny too because Chicago's cold. Um, in part because you get that plains wind, and it doesn't matter how many coats you put on in Chicago. If you're out, you feel that wind; it cuts right through your clothes. Yeah. Michigan's cold because it's damp, so they're two different reasons, and both are brutal. Yeah, like, I never, I never, obviously, I don't know. Did you have you experienced a Chicago winter? Oh I mean, yeah, it's probably yeah I, I used to go to Chicago quite a bit with my wife because her sister lived on the West Side. Okay, all right. So, okay, I never really, I never been to Detroit, but yeah, yeah the the wind in Chicago is known as the hawk. Yeah, you know, and it will it's brutal. It's brutal. It will cut through you. There, there'll be times where, you know, the wind will get so strong it's knocking over mailboxes and and trash yeah. cans, and pe- people are looking like they're walking uphill because they are leaning, just yeah. trying to walk from building to building or wherever they're trying to go. So, yeah, it gets pretty brutal. Yeah, and like I say, in Detroit, what happens is it's just damp, so you. you you don't get the wind cutting through your clothing. You just feel it from the, it radiates from the inside out in effect because it kind of gets in your bones. So both are kind of terrible. Of, yeah, winter, I, the, the winter is a bad word for me. Yeah. Basically, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be warm yeah. than cold any day. Like, don't use the W word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do not use winter. So around. is that what scared you out to LA? Yeah, yeah. Basically, like I said, I've, I, when I was a kid I, or when I was younger, I've always wanted, once I realized... I like to be out and active and stuff. I'm like, this ain't cutting. The winter's not cut- yeah. cutting it. It was between Miami or LA. Yeah. And uh, Columbia College, they had this program where they were taking, and this is the first year they had this program. They right. were taking students out to LA for this producer program. And I wanted it, qualified for it, was one of the students that were selected. We came out here for, like I said, I think it was like three months or something like yeah. that. Uh, fell in love with LA, the weather. The area that we were in was Studio City, which I happen to like Studio City a lot. Um, so went back home, told my mom, my brother, my sister, girlfriend, well, not my girlfriend at the time, but all my friends yeah. that I'm moving to L.A. So they gave me a nice little going away party. And um, during a going away party, they were like saying things about me and they're like, oh, we're going to miss you. We hate that you're moving to L.A. And my girlfriend at the time, I did not tell her oh boy. I had decided to move to L.A. So she looked at me with this this hurtful, tearful look right. in her eyes and she ran up the stairs and I had to follow her and tell her, you know, I'm sorry. But I would not recommend that to any guy. Always <laughs> that tell, was maybe the wrong way yeah, to go it was, about it was, that. It was bad. But the reason why I uh, I didn't tell her uh, I think at the time was, you know, I didn't feel like she was really happy with me. Yeah. Because like we would be hanging out or driving and she was always looking over at other cars and other guys, like seemed like she was trying to get their oh, attention because like she... she was stare, you know. But I, I later, my psychoanalyst of her is that um, her father loved her, um, her, her and her mom at an early age. And I always think she wanted to be accepted and admired right. and, and looked at as something of value so like she was always seeking attention Got you. you know i don't i don't don't think she would ever cheated on me maybe she would have but she was always seeking attention and yeah. so to me being you know 20 something i was like well, to me it's like you're cheating on me so yeah you know i decided to up in the so i assume she didn't move out with you no she did not um move out with me uh we actually ended up breaking up 
Several months later, we tried the long distance yeah, relationship it's a tough thing. Way to go. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really work. Especially at that age. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she broke up with me. Broke up with me over the phone, and I was completely cool with it. Like yeah. that was. It well, was you a, were on adventure, baby. Well, yeah, you was, were out yeah, in that L.A. Was, that was all the girls I was crushing on at the time. So like, <laughs> yeah, there it, you go. Yeah, you know it was, and like I, you know, I've always been pretty loyal. So there was a couple girls that I really liked, but I didn't chase them yeah. because even though we were in a long distance relationship, I was honored honoring that yeah but uh she wasn't doing the same she found someone that she liked and she wanted to move on i was like that's fine you know i don't know what she expected me to fight or whatever but i was completely cool with it you know i mean sometimes it was was, life especially when you're younger too it's like you know yeah Yeah, this ain't working this is different yeah it's this thing and it it doesn't sound like it was about her so much it was just about you wanted to move on with your own life yeah yeah different things yeah then stay in chicago i'll be doesn't sound like you're saying anything bad about Chicago either. You no, know? no, no. Chicago. The only thing bad it's about cool Chicago city. is the cold. Yeah. If it wasn't cold, I probably would never love. You mean all those bastard people that are cold? Is that what you're talking about? Because Detroit ain't cold. We're warm. No, no. I'm talking about the no, weather I cold. <laughs> the weather. I'm cold. not picking on people yeah. from Chicago yeah. much. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys just jealous because you know because you're a real city and yeah. we're not. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. something to be jealous about. Ever since the motor, the the the. The car industry left It used you guys. to be. Yeah. It used yeah. to be. You know, the big be. boys in the block anymore. Yeah. yeah. It used to be cars in Detroit Rock City. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you, you guys um, had it going on for a minute there, you know. Well, it's kind of a phoenix now. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of, it's got a very interesting uh, new growth and it's turning into a different city. But Is it growing? Because I know last well, time I heard they were having to, issues with, they had this whole water thing going on. Well, that's Flint. I'm not sure. I haven't, my sister lives kind of close to Flint. I'm not sure what the deal with all that is i'm not i've been in michigan to live for many years so i don't really know about that but i do know when i get back that detroit um like there's a whole new the area that used to be kind of rugged back in the day that you could find uh, drugs and prostitution and things like that was just south of wayne state university and now it's called midtown it's kind of been rebranded and it's all these old homes that were basically you know drug houses for many years back in the day are now they've been redone or they have this beautiful french detail to them a lot of times and they're beautiful homes and they're going for some big money now. so you're seeing a rebirth yeah, yeah. And which is in, good i mean because it's it been a long time like i mean it's yeah it's been a it's been a slow kind of atrophy for detroit yeah. i think the media personally i would say was like 15 years behind the fall in some cases they still talk about how tragic detroit is when you're like uh dude have you been there it's beautiful in so many ways as far as the city goes right um, there's still some pocketed areas that are rugged, but um, I mean, even in LA, there's some yeah. pocketed well, areas. Well, in, in LA, I would feel more comfortable getting lost in the wrong spot in, in the Detroit. D than in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been here 20 years now, so. Um, but so you got you got yourself out here, mm-hmm. and you are an actor. We met on Ken's uh, stuff. He shoots that stuff. Yes, the pilots for Amazon that he's been shooting. Yes. Um, and then we decided to start working out a little bit together. And then uh, you dropped a, a, a script on me, yes. uh, Saviors of the Seed. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, talk a little about that. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, Saviors of the Seed is a project I started back in 2013 writing. Right. Um, and the reason why I started writing it was because back about 2012, there was this uh, plague of, uh, of pirates, Somalian pirates, yeah. who were attacking any foreign ships that were coming through the uh, Arden Sea um, and they were taking them. And every story I read, 
kind of talked about the pirates in a negative fashion. Like right. there was this whole thing with the the whole Captain Phillips thing where they took his his ship and people online would say, oh yeah, just shoot the bastards, Navy SEALs, just take them out. And I, and yeah. I started to look at it and I was like, well, why are they doing this? And then right. I read, I was I was fortunate to come across this England uh, story in, I think it was an English, a British report. And they talked about why they were doing what they were doing right. as well as this Italian reporter or Italian report that also talked about why they were doing what they were doing. And once I understood, they weren't doing this because they're evil people. It was right. a survival thing. It was a uh, a lot of information left out that we were privy to. We didn't hear a lot on the American side where they talked about it, uh, especially the major networks. They never said, hey, these people are doing this after they've tried for several years to go to the world council and say hey we got these There's foreign brawlers coming yeah. in taking our fish they're not paying us any restitution in 2006 there was a tsunami that happened and all these canisters of nuclear yeah. waste washed up on our shores and for years our people have been getting sick and we couldn't figure it out so these foreign canisters are from italy and germany and 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 and, yeah. and korea and all and all these other countries have been dumped in our in our sea you know and there's no no one's coming here to say okay we're sorry let us help you with the medical right. issues um and they have no central government which is one of the reasons why a lot of these problems occurred so they they were losing a lot of their livelihood through foreign dollars because they were fishing in their oceans which means no fishing for them or not as much fish right. for them and then you know you got these this toxic poisons this nuclear waste in their waters and obviously affecting their yeah. health. Yeah, yeah, as well as the sea life. Yeah. So what happened was a a small band of fishermen as well as former military people um, decided to get together. And say, hey, we got to protect our our lands. We got to protect our waters. Right. We got to protect our seas. Which you know, we they call we're called them pirates, but initially they called themselves saviors of the sea because Hence their mission the name of the script exactly exactly because their mission was to go out and stop these foreign thrallers from doing what they're doing right um and and to protect the water so there's no more dumping and stuff like that unfortunately what happened was uh they ended up kidnapping some of these uh ships and they started receiving large ransoms which uh. i think they were a little surprised that they did receive this type of money as as you know money could be a it could change your philosophy because their initial philosophy was about the country and right and loyalty to the people it was an honorable noble thing that they were trying to do and this was like kind of like a last ditch effort so, okay the world won't help us we got to help ourselves uh and if you ever look at the somalian pirate history they don't kill they haven't killed anyone people mm. have died but it wasn't because they came on the ship and just start shooting people. They died because malnutrition or they got some other disease. And I, th and I think it's only been a, a like one or two people. See, that's an interesting point. I didn't know that. Do you think that's part of uh, the idea of like, really, if this is our stock and trade, we have to kind of show that we're going to give the person as soon as we, you, you understand what I'm asking? Like if you, if you kill a couple of people then they're like, well, how do we know if we give you the money, we don't get the person. Well, yeah, because I, th these people aren't, I mean, outside, there's a few soldiers, but they're not killers right. per se. They didn't, they didn't, st they're not like, okay, we're going to start a war and go out and hurt people. That right. wasn't their thing. They were just saying, we're going to stop these people from doing what they're doing. And they stumbled into like a bartering thing that they never conceptualized, yeah, exactly. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. But in that, I guess it does make sense that if you don't 
take people out, then at least the people that are dealing with you aren't f- so fearful of like, well, that we could give them the money and they could still kill someone like a kidnap scenario in the United States per se. I get what you're saying. And that, that I guess that could be part of it, but it wasn't really because from the, let's say it was a, a Korean ship. Yeah. From their viewpoint, the cargo was so valuable. Right. I mean, the, the, the captain oh, and stuff is, is just as valuable, but the cargo was so valuable that it couldn't afford to lose it. Gotcha. So they would pay the ransoms. And some of the ransoms um, ended up being extremely, extraordinary large yeah. it was I mean, we were talking about millions of dollars you know and some were lower but because the cargo was so valuable they had to kind of pay for it in order to get it back right you know because they were losing so much money so right. they're like, okay we're going to give you this money so we can make this money because so there's still a, a profit back. yeah so we get a product head. back yeah and so we could get in and, and you know as well as the crew members right but yeah yeah it, it that was that was really what was on the foreign a lot of the, the foreign um um, captured ships, the, the the foreign people, who the, the Koreans or whoever they might be, right. that was on their mind. Like our product, we need to get our product back as well as our crew back. Yeah, it's still it's millions so, and so millions of dollars yeah, of so costly, of as well as the ship itself. Yeah, you know. So you know, interesting. But, but the whole thing it became incredibly interesting because um, not only uh, did the pirates start to benefit more than they thought, uh, you know, having millions of dollars, you know, in in Another thing that probably needs to be mentioned is that not all Somalia supports the pirates. Oh, okay. You know, this it's a small section that supports them, but a lot of the neighborhoods that the pirates lived in went from poverty to overnight, if you will, to enormous success. Uh, so now they have cars, they have houses, they have women. So there's some sort of Robin Hood effect, yeah, exactly, in, in, exactly, in this, where they're robbing from the rich in effect and yeah. helping the the general populace. Yes. But unlike Robin Hood, they became their own worst enemy because uh-huh. then they lost their true cause of what they were doing and why they started doing this. Um, and then now you have these uh, insurance companies who will jack up their rates on these these thrallers that have to travel this through the Arden Sea. Right. So now they're benefiting from it. So like when the ships are captured, you know, it's more insurance that's got to be paid out. So not, but they got to jack up their rates and now. They're, the insurance companies are benefiting from it and now you have even restaurants that are open up because of this and they serve the captured crew people so now wow. they're charging them and right. now you have like businesses that the the Somalian pirates and that are supporting as well as politicians that are supporting the the these businessmen or these politics so a lot of people are benefiting right from the industry of piracy so you know, it's hard to let that go. You know, when you go overnight from having nothing to all of a sudden having nothing and all these other factors, these other players are benefiting from what you are doing, even though it's illegal, you know, or it's not a good thing or it's not a good way to do business, but it's successful because it's making money. So once people start making money and then they, all their principles and morality uh, in some cases, will go out the window. So you're you're kind of indicating that that it starts off kind of well as a moral cause, not kind of. It starts off as a moral Very cause so. um, because it would be the leaders of the society. If it were you and I, we go, hey man, this is not good. Our people have been sick. Now we're seeing these canisters wash up. Uh, let's go to the international community, which which is a bust. And then you there's a like. I'm sure where the frustration grows and it's built in. My my people are sick. Uh, we need help. 
and we're not getting it. Okay, what are our options? Now it moves to extreme options, but it, yet it's still built in correctness or moral thought. Yes. And then what happens is uh, there's benefits that come out of that that were unanticipated that kind of reshapes the thinking as to why it's going on. So do you think, obviously you've researched this, do you think that there's there's portions of the pirates that are still operating strictly for the morality of it and others are just operating for the greed of it or do you think it's just generally a mixed bag i think there's a a i think the majority i mean i'm not over there but you know right, based, of upon my research, based on research yeah the majority of them uh, lost their way gotcha you might have a small percentage that are like no i didn't get in to this to benefit from it right personally i got it from to, to help my country to protect my country um to improve my country right so yeah i th- all, i know there's a small percentage of people who still feel that our initial cause is what we should be focusing right. on but you know it's it's just like the shiny apple and know? does that do you think that i mean you know much more about this than i do is is it generational at this point are the pirates like on the second generation, the third generation, the fifth generation? That's a very good question. I, I and In other words, they're more callous to the morality of it. Yeah. It's just a way of life. Yeah, I think it's the first generation. I don't think it has yeah, gone to the second generation because it, it was relatively recent. I mean, it, I think right now we're probably... Looking at like 20 years, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, probably close to 20 years that it has been going on. You know, so we're still in the first generation. Of, but, you know... We're very close to probably having a second generation, and it just depends upon, you know, like I said, the small percentage of guys who want to keep the initial reasons why we did this initial cause. Why we did right. This. I don't think they want their sons doing this. You know, I don't think they will want their children doing this. Right. You know, because that, you know, you just pass it on. It's hard to get anything good from evil. You know, from doing bad. Yeah, things. albeit it's moral, but it's like it's vicious and I understand it's vicious and I wish it wasn't this way. So therefore I don't want to pass this along to my, my, my family. Yeah. Especially with the large percent of the world look at you as an enemy, even though they're doing right. They're invading. They're dumping. Yeah. Yeah, They're, they're basically, they're trespassing into your land. They're they're not obeying your laws uh, because like I said, you don't have a central government, but still, you know, and you don't have a lot of power internationally. And you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't have a navy, you don't have an army, you don't have a you don't have a a, right. a, a central government, like I said, or politicians or senators. Like I guess, hey, you know, you know, let's work together to make Somalia a better, better place, a better right. country for everybody involved. You know, so you don't have that. So um, I think, as far as generationally goes, um, I think it will continue because the majority of them, you know, they're successful. It's yeah. just like, you know, gangs in LA, in L.A. Initially, they didn't start off being bad. They, that was a yeah. good thing. But it grew. It grew. I Once just it started saw, making money. I just saw a thing about the Hells Angels, and there was a point, at least in this documentary, where they, they had to bail a guy out of, out of jail for a what they called a trumped-up race char- a rape charge. rather, And uh, the only way they could come up with the money was to sell meth. And so, because they were just a... According to this documentary, they were just a biker club that, you know, they were a bit raucous and they caused some problems, but they were just, you know, kind of dudes out overkill being dudes. And so a guy got put in jail for um, with a rape charge and they had to come up with the dough because you got to stand by your brother. They got to come up with the dough to get him out. 
so they sold some meth to come up with the money. And then that's where they learned, at least in the disposition that was presented, that, oh, my God, well, I didn't realize, we didn't realize there was so much freaking money involved with this yep. stuff. And then yep. that supposedly is where they went down the path. Exactly. Um, that, uh, just for the record, I'm not saying that they're bad guys. I just, I found it interesting because it's up to your point exactly. of how you go. If it's true, they they went along and go, hey, man, we're just rowdy dudes out on motorcycles to, oh, my God, we can make a ton of dough. Yes, exactly, exactly. Not to say that's what they're doing, for the record, because well, I don't need them showing up at my place correcting me on this. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think you're accurate. I mean, that's what happens. Right. You know, when you realize the earning potential, yeah. you know, despite the moral uh, backlash, right. Right. you know, you're, there's going to be a large percentage of people most people are going to be like look at all the money yeah, we and have how now. easy it yeah, actually exactly. is in a way yeah. and in a way with these pirates it became i think that's what i'm picking up on is you're you're indicating like wow i mean it's not easy to do what we did but it's easy to collect this kind of big payout yeah. wow we didn't yeah. realize yeah and initially when they started i mean because like anything else they have to learn how to board these ships and they yeah. practice yeah and even some of them have gone to uh school to learn how to work these ships because yeah. they're complicated and stuff like that so you know they had to learn and once they started to get good at good it at it became it, yeah. easy and initially it was probably easier to catch a ship off guard and there was less protection right because the they ships. didn't know about they yeah, didn't know what was going to happen yeah exactly you know it didn't happen you know so it was probably a trial and error thing for them yeah. to try to really learn how to do it but initially it, it was easier for them now once the world started to know about it then yeah. it became harder for them to do it but the indian ocean is pretty freaking big yeah you know so like you know it's hard for even with um united states and other naval country other navies from other like countries powers yeah patrolling powers. it they still can't you know they still have a hard time trying to catch these guys all yeah. the time they do stop some of them yeah you know but uh and it had it did die down a little bit uh after 2012 uh, but last time i read which probably about six months ago it has started back up a little gotcha bit. yeah and so this is like the the spine or the the backdrop of your story yeah, yeah. um so where where do you how do you infuse this or how do you make sense of these pirates to I would say the American audience is not really generally gonna be empathetic towards these characters. So how do you how do you present this story in a way that people will relate to it? That's a good question. Um, you tell their side of the story. You just tell it, right? Because it hasn't been heard a lot. You know the things, even that though I they're t- pirate bastards. Because <laughs> I mean, like when we think of pirates, you know, we I got, think we got, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pirates of the Caribbean, they're running around doing what they're doing. But when you think of, I mean, when you look at, listen to their story, yeah, they're not bad people per se. They didn't do this. They didn't say let's set out and hurt people. Right. Let's set out and take from people what they have. They said, right. hey, we gotta protect our waters. We gotta, we gotta stop them from dumping in. It, dumpy toxic waste and we gotta stop them from taking our fish without paying us restitution so that was their initial cause after right. they have tried other things so just telling that story you know you can't change people's mind that's not what i'm trying to do i'm gotcha. just trying to say hey this is their perspective yeah because i don't story. think you're advocating piracy i no. mean i don't i don't get that sense i mean i i was you i have read the script at least one of the drafts um, there's not like saying that they're necessarily correct. In right. fact, doesn't it become kind of a moral dilemma for the individual? I don't yes. remember if he talks about it or not. But. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something where it's um, 
because there's a it's an interrogation scene yeah between himself and a fbi profiler right and the fbi profiler is kind of like his conscious as if you will oh, even though he he's thinking the way she's thinking but he needs to find someone who he can work with because he's captured on purpose he just allows himself to be captured that's implied in the script we don't see him being captured or whatever but it's implied in the script that he allows himself to be captured because right. he's seeking alliance with with a strong government a, with a strong country that can help his country right and it's implied that you know he realizes that he can't continue this way this is something that is far off their original course uh far off the beaten path so yeah he it, it is kind of implied like i need to move into another direction right if i want to be successful because again he doesn't want his son his children to inherit this this gotcha. is not what they initially started to do he it's like most projects that you take up you don't expect to do that for long right you just say you know maybe if we do this for a couple years the world will hear us and they will come and help us and blah 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 and that's kind of like where the initial pirates started the initial saviors of the sea started they weren't trying to do this forever this wasn't going to be a lifelong pursuit for them they it were was hoping. an option they were exploring that exactly. turned into a profession yeah. in a sense yeah, yeah. because yeah. of of what you're talking the about the wealth that they read the riches yeah. that, the money they received yeah interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that I look forward to. Uh, fortunately, I get to work on that project with you. Yes. I look forward to working on that project yes. with you. And I also today wanted to talk about um, something that you do that I don't think I don't think most people consider and fully appreciate its value. Where you seek out mentors in life. Would, yes. Would you please talk about that? I think people have to understand you know contextually in their life the importance that a good mentor can bring to you. Yeah, I think uh, if you look at most successful people they had some sort of mentor i mean michael jackson has stevie wonder um uh, business people have other people that kind of teach them because when you look at it this is our first time going through life so initially i didn't have a good strong um father in my life he was he was he did what he could but he didn't really teach me a lot right and that's what the fir- the other generation is supposed to do they're supposed to pass on knowledge to help the younger generation to be better people and not to make the same mistakes they do. You can't stop people from making mistakes or going to make mistakes, but when they do make mistakes, say, hey, you, you might fall seven times, but get up, keep getting up, keep getting That's up. That's interesting too, because wouldn't, kind of taken further what you're talking about, wouldn't a mentor actually, if you trust a person who's giving you advice, and you listen to it, then sometimes you just don't make the mistakes. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Is that part of, that's, part that's, of what you're talking that's about? That's part as well? of it, that's part of it, because you get to see, they're gonna, give you the steps like this is what i did to get to where i was to where i I am but a good mentor will also tell you don't be afraid to fail right that's just that's how you learn don't be afraid to fail and so when you do make a mistake they say okay i made that mistake here's what you do now they tell you what to do they can't make you do it it's up to you right but even if you don't take their advice they should be like okay well that's fine i'm still here for you yeah i'm still here for you so you know i'll keep helping you as long as you're willing to stay with me i'll keep helping you dig out the hole now eventually you should listen to your mentor that's why he's there for you shouldn't like fight your mentor that that well i think being a mentor a part of it is i would assume um at least if i look at how i've been a father the idea would be that you're developing a trust so that the person that you're helping through life sees after a while like Wow, this is this person hasn't lied to me about things. This person's giving me real deal stuff. It, I think that's what 
how yeah. I interpret what you're saying. That's that's a very good point because it's it's like anything else. You have to build right. trust. You have to learn. So how you to, might start off like resistant yeah. to, to your point. Yeah. Like, uh, hey, man, I I don't want to do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. And you might go out and fail. And you're like, wow, that guy didn't yell at me for failing. Yeah. And he's still giving me advice. And yeah. he's still there for me. Yeah. In yeah. this case, we're talking masculine only because it's the two of us. I'm sure you maybe you've even had a female mentor. I don't know. Um, but that would be just as valid to have a lady giving you advice. And the same thing, the compassion of letting you fail, the understanding of that, and then yeah. coming back and being like, no, no, okay, this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and you learn. You have to build trust, right? Because when you fail, when I mess up as a as a as a when I was my my parents were alive, when I messed up, I didn't run and tell them oh, I messed up. <laughs> you know what? Right. Because like, it's not we, something we're proud of. Exactly. As a when you have a mentor, especially if you're trying to if you're impressed or you admire this mentor, you don't want them to know you messed up. You right. don't want them to know you you made a mistake, right. even though. If they're a good mentor, they're gonna know you're gonna mess up, Pretty and that's much, right. okay. Right. It's a bit supposed to be like that's okay. I want I want you to muck it up. You know you're gonna make a mess, and we'll figure it out. And but all go and what they understood, what my mentors understood is like that's part of it. Like if you don't muck it up, if you then if you're trying to be perfect, then you're never gonna learn anything. Right. You know because perfection. According Let me tell to you him, something, man. I haven't learned anything in years because of that. Well, because yeah, I'm trying to be perfect. perfect. No, I am perfect. So, no, I'm teasing. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just breaking the rhythm I, I here, man. Just like, you know, I almost fainted just now. It was like, <laughs> man is lying on his radio show. <laughs> I made a living out of lying. Not a lot, you, but a living. Well, you are actors. So yeah. Eked out a living. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, a mentor should understand that, and, you, and the mentee should understand that making a mess, success is messy, you yeah. know. Very few people, if you ever look at them from Abraham Lincoln, you look at anybody's life who's, who's ever amounts to something, even if it's something small, it it's messy. It's not perfect. Yeah. And one of my mentors said, like, perfection is an illusion. Excellence is what you want. And what he was basically saying is that in order to get excellence, you have to learn not you have to understand what it is not to be excellent right. <laughs> so you can figure out how to get the achieve excellence. Right. Yes. You know, and so it's, it's, and you're constantly learning and my mentors are constantly learning. They're constantly teaching me. And I even have mentors, get this or not, that blow your mind a little bit, that are dead okay. and I never met. Okay. But I follow them like, for example, uh, uh, John Wooden, the UCLA oh, yeah. coach. Of course. I follow, I listen to his life because if he, lived because i think he died when he was in his 90s if for 90 years while he was on this planet you can see his failures and his successes and stuff but yet he's managed to stick to most of his principles and continue to learn them say okay this guy has proven that it could be done yeah you know and he had a, according to him and from what i read his father was a good man who set him all on the right path and even gave him 10 principles that he should follow and wrote down and he kept them in his pockets all throughout his life and he would pass them down to his players and stuff yeah you know and and that's the that's the that's the role of us as people whether you're a dad or just a person yeah i agree to always pass down knowledge because like i said this is our first time going through life this is my first time going through life you know, so if I have someone there who said, I've been there, done that, I can help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I avoided, whether you meet that person directly or indirectly just by reading a life story or if you have direct contact with them, you can learn how to be a better person and you don't have to spend so much time making your mis so many mistakes because you're going to make mistakes. So, you, make so mistakes. from hearing what you're saying, do you think the biggest 
skill set to having a mentor is actually listening, learning how to listen. Learn how to listen and, and learning how to build trust. Let it happen. Don't try to go in there and be perfect. Don't right. try to go in there and be flawless because you're not. They're infallible. Or they're, I'm sorry, they're not infallible. You know, so like they're going to, they have made right. their mistakes too. So when, when you meet them, they're not gods. They're people like you. Right. You know, they put their pants leg on, they put the pants on one leg at a time like we do. Um, they fall down, but they keep getting up. Do you have, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to name specific mentors, um, but do you have one story, one brief story you could convey that would address like some progress you've made in life due to a specific thing that you were mentored on? I'm going to go back to John Wooden and, um, John Wooden, um, because like I said, your mentors could be direct, people that you met were right. indirect. And I like to have people who lived and, and gone on, even though I never met them, because they they provide a full scope of life. And, and even though they 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 might not have been perfect, they still were successful right. as people. Uh, what I learned from John Wooden is to always give your best, always give 100%. Because once the day is over with, you can't get it back. Yeah, it's there's your takeaway. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's no way of say, okay, well, all right, I only gave eighty percent today. Tomorrow, I'm gonna give one hundred twenty percent. Right. And John Wayne is like, no, it's one hundred percent. You can't go one hundred percent is top. You can't go one hundred twenty percent. Yeah, you there's know? no such. You, like when I played really football, it was like, oh, give one hundred ten percent. It's like, how can you give one hundred ten percent? Yeah, take you and multiply you by exactly. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent is a full. So uh, he he that was one of his things. Like every day make it count and yeah. try to give you 100%. Like, you know, like that old, uh, I think it was Romans Seize Today, you know, and try to make it the best day, give your your best. Yeah. And initially when I first heard it, I didn't understand, I understood what he was saying, but to understand it in your bones, in your yeah. soul. like To like live it. Yeah, exactly. To, to give your best, what that means. Yeah. Because that only stretches you and makes you better for the next day. Yeah. So you want to give this more even even more of yourself the next day and you just become a bigger better person there's a there's a um this is another thing that was probably really profound uh for me um there's a a a, um, a phrase or a term called the compound effect and the compound effect initially will say you may not do whatever you do if you tr try to do the right thing every day it may not add up to this big thing and big explosion that you become day. but yeah. over time it builds up yeah it's like and compounding interest is the way I, I, it's funny i look at it i term it compounding interest in my own structure yeah, of yes my yes. own personal philosophy yeah that's a nice um, way of and you're, at, you're actually right you're you're it's like it's not i really love the way you're illustrating it because it's not you're going to do something and there's this big miraculous cloud opening that you know the angels come singing through it it it's like it's like what you did is a piece of the overall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tomorrow that turns into 110%. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns into 220. No, yeah. you know what I mean? I it's know what you just, mean. Yeah. It, it compounds in your favor. Yeah, exactly. Either way, and I, I would attribute it like when I was carrying a lot of weight, it, it'd be like, okay, if I'm going to lose weight, I'm not going to lose it all at once. It took me two years to get into this mess and it might take me two or three years to get out of it yeah because it, it's like that day you overeat the sandwich and then you put on the extra weight and then you put extra weight on it boom 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 yeah it goes in the wrong direction it's yeah. all compounding interest. yeah a lot, a lot i think in this society in the microwave society we tend to miss the the beauty of the journey right you know it's just like the example that popped in my head learn how to play guitar you know you're not going to be able to play like 
Prince or John Clapton right away. But yeah. each time you practice, you get better at the finger movements and hitting yeah. the notes. You're getting better. So what you practice two years from now yeah. will be good. It'll or, be there. Or, yes, exactly. You know, or I'm sorry, what you practiced two years ago, you know, will be will be foundational yeah. to who you are two years from now. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And with all that said, now we move into you know last year, which health wise, you know, because we were being very optimistic, and mm-hmm. we're going to just end this podcast on a bummer, a downer. Oh, oh okay. We're going to talk about okay. uh, you and I have had the. Uh, ironically, I do. I'm not even being sarcastic. The fortune of a learning curve due to health issues mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. You uh, for a lot of the the year, and me towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of talked about it before the show. I'm I'm certainly willing to talk about my condition, which ended up I ended up getting a blood clot, uh, which was weird because it started at like I broke my thumb. I messed up my shoulder. There was a whole progression in a month, two month time of like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Oh my God. And then um, just before Christmas, I was working out and messed my calf up, which my calf blew up in a way that I'd never seen in my life. I've been involved with sports in some way or another for most of it. And I've had sports injuries. And then my calf was about the size of my thigh, yet it was taunt. There was no like like water fluid in it at all and uh so the doctor short stories i I had a blood clot and now to me i'm thinking well i don't feel that bad other than the fact my my leg looks like an elephant's leg uh that went down and 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 but it's been a lot more traumatic to me than i ever really expected as far as the things i can do due to medicine and shortcomings and so i don't necessarily want to capitalize i just want to set the tone of what happened to me so i'm going to let you explain uh to listeners what happened to you and then we'll just banty back and forth about how beautiful dealing with doctors and issues might be for people yeah uh and i'm still going through i'm still i'm not out of the woods yet but um and like as you already know i'm a christian yes i I believe in god i believe uh everything that happens happens for a reason and everything you could either go through it or you could go, grow through it. And I wouldn't, this could sound weird, especially once I start explaining everything I went through, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. Me I, too. I, I mean, I, that's, I wasn't being sarcastic. Yeah. For me, it was a huge, blessed learning yes. experience. Yeah, I learned so much about myself, about faith, uh, about how there are a lot of good people in this world. And there, you're always going to, but despite that, you're always going to run into some buttholes right you know um but yeah as far as what i went through it was um my kidneys yeah it is my kidneys i'm not like i said i'm not out of the woods yet you're working on it yeah i'm working on it but i'm a lot but i mean like october 2017 was initially started right but at this time in october of last year 2018 I wouldn't have been able to talk. My voice had changed. Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to talk to you without taking a pause because uh, I couldn't really breathe right. I, right. I, I I swelled up. My my natural body weight is anywhere from one seventy to one seventy five. I swelled up to two hundred pounds. I remember you showing up with carrying a lot of water. Basically. Yes. Yes. And you talk about my your legs being elephant yeah. legs. My my legs were just. Like completely, I had no definition. You couldn't see yeah. my knee. Yours was opposite. Yours was filled with water. Exactly. Mine was just taunt, blown yeah. out muscle tissue or, or sinews. You know what I mean? Exactly. If you touch my leg, it was almost like 
touching a water, you know, how you touch a like water, a water balloon, balloon. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, it was like that. Uh, and, and, you know, um, I had tension headaches. I had migraine headaches. I, like I said, I couldn't breathe. I, for a while, I couldn't even walk. Right. I don't know if I told you, I was on, uh, yeah. I was on a walker for about a week. You no, know, you two, didn't. Two, about two, three weeks. You didn't mention that. Yeah, I was on a walker, so I physically could not walk. Um, and part of it was, uh, and that's just some of the symptoms. I, I'm, my blood pressure was up like 200 over, I don't know, 190 or 180. Like there was one, I, we, I went to do a biopsy for my kidneys and they wouldn't do it. Then they were looking out for me. I was not upset by it, but they would not do it because they were like, if we, if the the kidney tends to bleed a lot, and if we go and we do a biopsy, we we may not be able to stop your blood. Exactly, you're gonna stroke out, whatever. So I was in such bad shape that they had to keep me for a couple nights over the hospital to lower my blood pressure to get it to to where it was something like, something reasonable. But the reason, part of the reason why I I fell into such a bad hole was because for about two three months i was getting any treatment because yeah. of insurance yeah um yeah which you didn't have any is that where your we situation didn't, we was? did not have any okay. uh we, initially we had uh uh health insurance through the government right but then there was all these regulations conditions we we couldn't continue it right uh and our our social worker at the time and this is something i think you experienced because we talked about it would tell us one thing but it was something else that we needed to do. Yeah. So we had to figure out, and anyone who's listening to this, you have to be your own advocate when it comes to your health. Yeah. You have to kind of help your doctors, whoever's working with you, kind of have to help them and let them know, hey, I'm interested and I know what's going on. Yeah, or you if better I be educating yourself. Yeah, exactly. I totally, I mean, that's one of the things I went through. I learned as much as I could about blood clots. Um, and I actually, I wasn't really afraid of them until I started learning what they can do to you, yeah. you know? I'm like, well, you know, it seems to be okay now. And it's like, okay, wow. Like, I think it's one out of nine people yeah. are a, fat- a fatality due to a blood yes, clot. Absolutely. I, that's a high yeah. rate. I mean, I yeah. have no idea what your scenario is, but I'm sure you know because you did your homework. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's just like you said, like a lot of times people, you you ignored it for a couple of days yeah. it wasn't like a I didn't think it was a big deal yeah you didn't run into the hospital like no. oh something's wrong you know and that's what happens with a lot of people you get sick and you know you're like oh, it'll go away yeah. and, and what happens in, in like with me and my kidney issues well yeah, that ain't I, going away man it's not going think. away no and, and and it's something that um you know it's only gonna get progressively worse right. and you have to like i said you have to kind of help the doctors yeah because they see so many patients it's not that they're bad people they see so many patients you know they they only visit you or see you like for five ten minutes you know and if you don't kind of like slow them down and say i got this question i got that question how should i do this so and and the doctors that i work with were like that once and they were great all my doctors are great but when i showed interest in understanding that I wanted to figure out how yeah, to they're do much this. more responsive. They're, yeah, then they they're now we're working as a team. Right now we're a team. Right, you're 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 the expert in this, but I got to tell you, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. I can't I can't breathe. Uh, every time I go to sleep, there's gurgling going on. There's so much swelling. Yeah, it had to be creepy. Exactly. Oh, it was my my poor wife. She's my champion too, by the way. Right. Because uh, it wasn't for her, I'd probably still be in bad shape. But my poor wife, I mean, I thought I couldn't get any sleep. She couldn't get any sleep. Yeah. Because for like seven, 
seven, eight months, almost a year. I didn't sleep well at all. Yeah, I can believe it. And, you know, and I and I can imagine what my wife was going through. She, every little noise I would make, she would jump up in bed. Are you okay? Are you all right? What can you know? Yeah. You know, are you breathing? You know, like she would check it no, on. I totally get it. Constantly. Yeah. 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 I think with me, it was funny because I had my leg up on my table and I was googling information, and uh, honestly, my leg was so large and blown out i'm like i was thinking wow i think i have to cut my leg off and uh then my wife would come out go hey what how's it is it is the swelling oh there's no problem honey nothing's nothing's you know yeah i did i definitely did that too i'm like i don't want you to uh, uh, yeah honey i'm thinking they got to cut this off yeah yeah oh you know i didn't want her to freak out yeah that how did that because i pissed my wife off when i would hide stuff because I, I, well, yeah, I was in pain all the time, it. but I would hide it from my wife because I don't want her to freak out, you know? So I how did your wife me, take that? I think for me, well, it's just, you're in the same place. You can't hide the fact that, you know, you're making noises. I can't hide the fact that my leg looks the size of an elephant. I mean, I had it peeled off. It was beet red. Um, you know, I'm looking at it, hoping it's the swelling's going to die. Hours later, it's exactly the same. It didn't really hurt, which I guess is a little uncommon with with a blood clot but it just felt like man it, it feels like it's going to explode like there was so much tension in all the tissue and i i just i, I guess I, I my thinking is like if you don't see how bad this is i'm not going to tell you like it's not like i was hiding my leg under the table going oh everything's fine but i didn't want to go hey honey uh by the way i think they're going to have to cut half my leg right. off yeah and regardless if that's rational or not, that's what I was experiencing, which is what we're talking about, yeah, yeah. where I'm sure you felt a lot of like, you know, it, I mean, you're a Christian guy, so I'm sure there was even a little questioning from time to time with the with the big guy, like, like well, why am I going through this? Because unlike my incident, which happened and is slowly getting better due to the medicine, which in itself is causing me problems, um, Yours was recurrent. I would I would email you about our Tuesday mm-hmm. sessions and mm-hmm. be like, hey, brother, I can't make it this time. Sorry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I imagine that was a rough ride for yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, there there was only one hospital visit that I actually felt did good. All the other hospital visits, I left worse than what I was. Interesting. Um, and as far as my conversation with God, um, I always felt like he was in control. I, I, you know, because my belief is that I'm going to heaven. The only person i was worried about was my wife right you know because she's had so many challenges in her life i we just recently got married so, right you know i but buffering is different than hiding something yeah. i guess is my point you yeah. weren't hiding it you were buffering it right well i was hiding it because ah. i didn't tell her all the pain <laughs> i was in i didn't tell her um because with 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 kidneys and like what you're saying about your leg the human body is amazing but when it something's is. out of whack, yeah. it, it throws off everything. So I was losing vision. Oh, geez. I was losing, there was this constant bad taste in my mouth. Right. Like not metal or anything, but just the bad taste. I can never, and it would suck the life out of me. Like I would wake up in the morning and I would feel good. But as soon as I eat and drink something, you know how you drink like, uh, say, cranberry juice or coffee or right. whatever. It tastes good good going down it would taste good to but me. then you get a weird after. but once it went down and maybe five minutes later it was like the worst thing ever i got this aftertaste and it would just suck the life from me. i would right. wake up energetic because you know uh when i did sleep you know was was able to get to sleep i would sleep for like 10 hours straight 10 yeah. hours straight i was so weak i could barely i was so weak i couldn't even 
a few months ago, I couldn't even stand up and, yeah. or sit up and talk to you. You know, like I, I, I needed to rest. You remember when we were trained sometimes? I I'm like, I need to sit down. Yeah. I, I have no energy. And by the way, thank God for that because yeah. it's the only way I could keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thank God for that one well, every day. I, oh, I'm glad you took it easy on you because, <laughs> you know, I was, I, was just, I was just a mess. You know, like I, I'm teasing. I, of no, I know. And I felt like I was eight months pregnant. My belly was out the way You out were carrying a lot of water, was, man. It was, it, was, it was incredibly challenging. It was incredibly amazing. It made me uh, more thankful for just being healthy because I've been yeah. healthy all my life, you know. Yeah. Um, so to have this challenge in my life, it, it put things in perspective. And it, and when you look at medicine or you look at people who are sick, you automatically think, "Oh, you're old." That's when you get no. Right. If you go to the hospital, if you visit a hospital, there's people from two months. Right. to 100 years old that are in the hospital. And I think that was the point that we talked about why this is worth talking about is the idea of of like sharing it with other people so that, like again, I never saw a human leg do what my leg did. Yeah. Uh, the doctors have seen it, and yeah. they were calm, and they dealt with it. And, and I guess it's, it's like, you know, I'm older than you. Uh, you're a young dude with a serious condition and that's part of why we felt it was relevant to talk about I'm, I'm older yet I'm at a place where my health is really good and um, to not have it is is not cool because it's like wow I, I don't think I've taken it for granted but as to your point it, it's a it's a lovely thing to go through life and be healthy yes 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 I mean I'm at uh, my dojo I, I, I can't do a third of the things I've been doing, I I now I'm like an old old guy where it's like, hey, yeah, I did something for two hours. I got to lay down on the couch and take a forty minute nap, and yeah. you're like, what? What the? Yeah, I mean, I, I I expect that's going to go away in my case. Yeah, that's just your body recovering, and right. you you have to let it recover. Right, you'll be surprised because um, two months ago I couldn't even do. 10 yeah. push-ups your your condition was yeah. pretty rugged yeah now i'm doing like 50 push-ups yeah you know because and i had to remember i told you i was doing like five minute workouts yeah you know 10 minute workout yeah. and i'd be exhausted yeah and every time i'm like i you know and I, you and i have worked out for two hours straight yeah you know going at it back and forth so like for, to go from doing from 120 minutes to 10 minutes yeah it's crazy and barely working out i yeah. mean like i would do a one push-up and my arms are shaking and i can't breathe and my, yeah. and my legs are like you know shaking everything's shaking yeah and, and my belly is touching the ground and, and every time and it's I rolling shift, it's <laughs> yeah moving, i remember that you know? we would do some uh some punching sequences or something and we it, it would be like okay we can do it at this angle yeah but we can't do it at yeah. that angle yeah because my, the belly my would, water belly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i call it it's called my water belly yeah. you know and i even dude i even had like you know how pregnant women they have pillows yeah. when they're pregnant i had to have a pillow for for my belly because it's just and see it's so interesting because that's a it's a lot for you to go through mm -hmm. and and for me i mean i showed up on christmas eve to get this uh, ultrasound uh, and my joke was to the guy, hey, whatever, I just don't want to know if it's a boy or a girl. But they were checking for the blood clot, right? And uh, and it turns out I had to stay and all of that. But I just was so happy in a way that I was lucky enough to find out that that's what it, you know what I mean? And, right, yeah. Instead of finding out the hard way, which is with a uh, pulmonary embolism, I believe they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and those are instant death, right? I mean, no, if they I don't catch it. To my understanding, you can survive those uh, depending on how big the clot is and how much blood flow to the lungs. It you know, it just depends on a lot of factors. But okay. you, a lot of people do survive those and recover quite well. Okay. But it also potentially gives you a heart attack. Um, but I, honestly, it's kind of to your point earlier of like how I felt good about it. Like, wow, I'm so glad I came. I'm so glad... Because I just showed up going, well, we do have insurance or did have insurance at the time. Um, and I was like, well, I have insurance. I should just show up and see what's going on instead of being that guy of like, it'll go away and, yeah. you know, whatever. So fortunately, for whatever reason, I was motivated to do that. And the I was like blessed on the outcome in the sense of like, okay, that is a Christmas present. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I was that guy too for a while. I was like, oh, it'll go away. You know, when it, like I said, when it started back in October 2017, it did go away. Yeah. It actually I did remember. go away. And then in January of 2018, it, it progressively just started getting worse and worse yeah. and worse until like, I think about, I want to say June, from June to July, it yeah. started just, it was just, because my kidneys, we went to a, a urgent care, I think in May, and the doctor was like, oh, yeah, your kidneys are fine. He's like, I can see something you might want to go to a nephrologist, you know, in a couple of months. But from that time in May to June, it, my kidneys went from, I think they were probably at like 80%, 89%. I was in stage one, but nothing bad, nothing to worry about, to where it just declined down to stage three of chronic kidney failure. So you're talking about actually your kidneys shut down in part. Yeah. Is that they, what's going they, on? They, they, sh- they, sh- they shut, they're not... They're not filtering waste and things like they're supposed to. Gotcha. It didn't shut down because if I shut down, I'd be on dialysis or gotcha. and, and be waiting for a kidney transplant or something like that. But they didn't shut down. They, it, but from May to June was it was just like it went from okay, you're okay to where you're not okay. Gotcha. You need you need to get in and see a nephrologist right away. And um, our initial our initial visit to a nephrologist was at. Uh, Maybe I should have said, but I don't say U- USC. Yeah, and uh, we went to county, and the emergency room doctors, the receptionist triage, great. They were great. They they were very very. Yeah, helpful. my experiences down there were good too. Yeah. I went with a, I helped a buddy get down there. We had this one emergency doctor. He was well respected yeah. uh, in his field. Great. They were just they were they were so fantastic. And there was one nurse. The first time she saw me, you talk about how, you know, when they saw your leg, they were like, Oh, we we used to seeing this. When they saw me, they were like, Oh my God, you're so swollen. Yeah. You were like, you're very, very sick. And the bad thing was the nephrologist who you think would be like, you know, Hey, you know, I'm going to take care of you. Was kind of passe. Yeah. He came up to us and this is after we, we, we visited USC so much, we should have had our own room. All the nurses knew us, they, and they were very friendly. The word is they put a placard on room it, 214. It, exactly. No, I'm teasing. This, this is Terry's room. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, no, 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 we wouldn't go in there. It's Terry's room. He'll be back. Yeah. You know, and, you know, they were very friendly to us. They came to know us. They, they would ask us about us. There was one guy who was a Christian. He prayed with me. Right. It was great. It was beautiful. Uh, one nurse, they were just giving us advice. He was just, they really wanted to help us. And we read the nephrologist that we ran into at USC, who was the head of nephrologist at the time, um, told us, gave us this run around talking about, oh, hey, I know your case. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. Uh, he had us, he had me on a bunch of Lasix, which, I, which was almost like I think 200 milligrams of Lasix. Yeah. And it wasn't working. I was still swollen. So which was, should tell us something 
is off. We need to look and do something else. And that's what I was trying to tell him. We need to do something else. He's like, don't worry. I'm going to take care of you and stop coming to the ER. And I'm going to go on vacation for two weeks. Oh, man. You know, there you go. So, yeah, exactly. So, so hang gonna on put you for on two dialysis. weeks, brother. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We're going to put you on dialysis. But when I get back from um I'll deal vacation. with it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, don't you have anybody else? Like, no, yeah. I want to take your case personally. Yeah. Whatever. But you're going away for two weeks, bro. Every day I'm getting worse. Yeah. I can't walk from here to there yeah. without stopping to bend over and take a breath. I'm tired. Like I like I can't I'm and how I talk clearly now, I couldn't talk. My voice was raspy and, and I would I would do this like yeah. and girl. I'm like, you want me to wait two more weeks? Until you come back, you can't give me an appointment earlier. And you know, and then he said, "Oh, I know your case. Don't worry." And then we said, "I, I mentioned something like, well, no." He said, "I know your case. Like, what what condition do you have?" I thought you knew my case. Jesus. You know, so wow, uh, yeah. So ultimately, we left USC. We had no other choice but to leave USC. Yeah, you went. To, you ended up going to UCLA, right? Yeah, two yeah. two or three months later. Yeah, because then that that was a gap. So like for two months, I had no treatment. I was going in and out to the ER room. They would stabilize me or try to stabilize me, either get my blood pressure down or do something. But I was in so much pain because I, I couldn't sleep. I, I would roll over, belly, and I, I, I couldn't yeah. breathe, all these things. So I, was, I would tell my boy, I just want to go home, you know. Because they're they can't they're they're not gonna be more comfortable and do what you want to do exactly. at home. Because they, they weren't doing anything for my yeah. kidneys. They were just like stabilizing me or whatever. Like you're not doing anything for my kidneys. The problem is we gotta try to fix the kidneys. Yeah, I felt too that um, I think when I was talking to you throughout that time, the uh, stress was most laid into you didn't know where you were gonna go to get help. Yeah, yeah. And now you do know yeah. that it's called the uh, Affordable Care Act. Oh, yeah. Supposed to Obamacare. <laughs> and I don't really want to become political because I'm not blaming anyone with what we ended up with. But I do know that in my realm, in the, the upper lower realm, that most people I know don't have health insurance. Yes. I, I did have pretty decent health care when my incident happened but at the end of the year a convoluted mess happened and now we have basically uh i have to pay the top rate to go but catastrophic at least so if something happens to my son or my wife or i have a heart attack in theory that won't devastate us i think we have to pay up to 14 grand before that kicks in but i mean it's it seems pretty unreasonable to me since, after all, I had insurance before the Affordable Health Care Act came to be, and it seemed a lot more affordable, blah, 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 blah. The point that I'm getting around to um, is the idea of dealing with doctors and being in that scenario has to be really, really difficult. I mean, just the stress alone from that has to it is really allow difficult. for no sleep. Yeah, it's really difficult when you're in that situation. You're getting worse, and you're not getting any help. Right, and you're you're doing everything they're asking you to do. They being the insurance companies or your your yeah. The doctor's going to anyone worker. that comes through the door. The doctor's going to deal with, yeah. albeit maybe not well, like the doctor that you just illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. But the next doctor might be brilliant, right? Yeah. But they're just saying, here's the door. Someone's coming in. They don't bill you out. They don't know if you have insurance or not. They're just looking at the issue. So yeah. it is more than that always yeah. that that. Is the frustration? Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. to interrupt. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. That's, that's a good point. It's one of my pet peeves. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good point. And and like I was saying, you know, um, 
the sleeplessness or the worry came from for me was I'm not getting any help. And right. I know it once I get some sort of help, some sort of treatment, yeah. I felt like I would turn around. I may not be, my kidneys may not be 100%, but I know right. I would be better than what I was. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, in your brain, you had to realize this was potentially a very damning thing, death possibly. Absolutely, yeah. So that's uh, real stress. There, there was, well see, for me, I don't know if it's the, my faith and plus the warrior in us, uh, death is a part of life. We right. all gonna die. The only thing is, like I said, the person I was worried about the most right. is my wife. Right. You know, everybody else, you know, I, I love you to death. No, I gotcha. But, but you know, you'll be fine if I'm if I pass away. I might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you'll cry for a couple hours or whatever. <laughs> ask, ask from for, the right side. Yeah, exactly. Ask for some no, of your, your 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 uh, stuff that I have back or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> oh, that's vicious. <laughs> <laughs> At the funeral, uh, yeah. Can I, can hey, I by the my... way, he borrowed one of my Eskrima uh, sticks. Can um, I have that back? <laughs> But yeah, so like as far as as far as that, I death doesn't really scare me if you understand. Yeah, I do. What I mean, because of my faith, you know, because I, you know, because I believe in God anyway. So that didn't scare me. I was more worried about my wife. Um, What scared me is I don't want to be debilitated. I don't want to be a burden on someone and live this life. There was one moment I and I think I talked about this. There was one moment I was in so much pain. I was in so much pain. And I was tired, and I said, "God, just take me." Yeah, just we talked me. about that. That's right. And and in that moment, um, I was being selfish, you know, because it was you know I, because of my wife, you know, I need to yeah, of try to be there for her, or at least have life insurance or something before you know I say something like that. And in that moment, and it's going to get a little faith based. God doesn't promise you that you won't go through hard times. Right. He doesn't. That's not in the word of the Bible at all. A lot of times, people. People become Christians thinking it's going to be an easy road, or what. if anything, it's more challenging because he's trying to build you, refine you, and make you stronger and understand what true faith is to rely on him. And because God wants to take care of you, he's a good God. Right. So at that moment, when I said that, I felt so much peace. Interesting. Yeah. So much peace came over me. Yeah. It's got like God didn't say anything. He just answered. He brought so much peace, and that's what God promises you. He promises you peace. Dude, I can see it right now when yeah. you're retelling the story. Yeah, exactly. He promises you peace in times where there shouldn't be peace. Right. And I was at so much peace. I was still in pain. Right. It wasn't like the pain went away. Right. I was still in pain. I was still in misery. My belly was still carrying forty pounds of water. Yeah. You know, or whatever it was. But I'd I was say sixty, but yeah, sixty. Well, yeah. hey, you calling me fat? <laughs> but I was, I was, I was at so much peace. I yeah. accepted everything I was going through, and I had this massive pain going on in my knee. Uh, I, I think at the time, no, I just had knee and everything else that was going on. I couldn't breathe or whatever, and my foot was swollen. Everything was. I was just a mess, and I realized all that was going on. Yeah, like it. I wasn't a fairy tale where, oh, you know, I want to die and then everything went away. It wasn't like that. But it was that peace that said, yeah, yeah this is where you are. But I'm with here with you. Yeah, it's so interesting because um, my realization uh, was different. My situation was different. But I had like um, just an appreciation, like I talked about where it's like I, I you know people go oh that's it's so that's too bad or whatever 
And it's like, no, no, it's a good thing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a Christmas present was my joke to myself because it was Christmas Eve when Mm -hmm. I found out. Um, and I think if you, if you like what you just described, I can see it in you, like your, your body's revisiting the, the emotions you felt. And it's, it's really impactful to, to come out of something. I mean, albeit you're still not out of the woods, I get it, but to come out of that, that dark day with, with, with a, with an understanding, I wouldn't even say it's hope really. It's just understanding the order of things and like your place. Like with me, I wasn't concerned about um, death per se. I was concerned I was going to lose a, a part of my limb. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brain still did what I would roll through, I think, if it were the question of death, which is like, boy, I still want to do this and I still want to do that, which I think is fair. Yes. I think it's fair for your brain yes. to roll through that. Absolutely. Stuff. Because we always feel incomplete and now mm-hmm. you're being confronted with like, you don't have time anymore to do mm-hmm. that stuff, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it has been remarkable for me to to see that you know you weren't showing up, you weren't showing up, you were showing up, the condition you were in, and the fact that we would just streamline it to well, what can we do instead of dwelling on? Look, you're here. Maybe your wife didn't want you to go out of the house that day, but we're here and we're still going to do something, albeit just this much and then you extended the same thing to me when I was running into problems I was like dude I can see you're tired but let's do this and at least get something out of it yeah that was very that time was very special right you know the time that we spent together during our trials right Um, it was very especially on my side very therapeutic because we would talk for hours yeah kind of like what we're doing now exactly you know (laughs) and and dealing with Essentially, what you're saying, your own mortality, right. and knowing that right. there's more things I want to do, you know, I'm not, I'm not done yet, but yet you have to confront the fact that this is where you're at right now, and I yeah. can barely do anything. But dealing with that was very therapeutic, and it gave me hope. Yeah. It gave me another vision to focus on because for two hours, four hours, however long we were together, to I wasn't anything. focusing exactly on my my condition. I wasn't focusing focusing on myself. I wasn't worried. Uh, I was doing something that we both loved to do, yeah. which is practice martial arts. Which, by the way, I think is pertinent to mention that's what a good dojo is about, is helping the other person, or at least placing the value of helping them a little higher than looking out for yourself. Absolutely. At least in both of our experiences. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's, that's where I was initially taught by my, my It's the only way it should yeah. be, because really... Yeah. I mean, first off, there's a certain hidden power in that, I think. I I always feel it. Uh, It does make you stronger Mm -hmm. than just looking out. I I feel it, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, when I work out, it's like when I have to um, slow down and look out for the other person, you're gaining this this worth out of it, I guess is what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, and that's a very good point because, you know. And there's strength in that. Yeah, exactly, because uh, it's a honor and a privilege to train with you yeah. you know because even when you're just showing me stuff i'm learning so much right you know even when i when you allow me to show you a few techniques, you're still learning i'm learning and, so much and it works the same way on the other end exactly. and I, I think it's it's really pertinent to us talking about like our war wounds our recent uh medical issues um that life's kind of like a dojo too if you or or you know it's a very christian thing i you know my wife uh, attends a church on a uh, fairly regular basis and i'll explain to her in terms of a dojo and she'll explain it in terms of christianity absolutely and uh 
it's like you do. We're built to be there for the other person, and yes. we, we draw. I think. I no, don't know. no, no. I agree with you. We're we're meant to serve. Yeah. You know, um, samurai actually means to serve. Yeah. We're meant to serve. Uh, in the Bible, it talks about you should give more than you get. You should, because you, you get. actually get. Yeah. You know, it's like the Beatles song, right? Yeah. The love you give is is equal yeah. to the love you yeah. you get. I mean, it's just a strange, strange phenomenon. Yeah, and like it is a strange phenomenon, but it's so. Like I said, in the Bible, it tells you this, you know, the Bible tries initially tries to tell us how to live. Right. And when we are serving someone else or serving one another, that's where you get the most satisfaction out of your life. And you find purpose. You have. I think that's the strength that you draw, because like I say, when I I personally experience it mostly in a dojo scenario, which is the way we I'm sorry, we which is the way we treat our workout and. so yeah, I, I totally totally hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a, and it's a beautiful thing, and it and it and you like I said, you have a purpose, and it's not yeah. about yourself. When you're focusing on yourself, when most people who are joyless or whatever, because it always it's always yeah. about them, and if you take the focus off yeah. yourself, it doesn't mean you mistreat yourself. Yeah, or you it doesn't brush mean you your can't teeth focus or anything on like that. Yourself. Yeah, exactly. But you know you're also saying you know what yeah. who can i add value yeah. to today you yeah. know who can i help today who can i serve today? who can i advantage yeah. today other and, than me and it could be something as small as saying hey how, how are you doing it doesn't have to be something big right. when you're building a house with someone or right. like that but just those small little things that make people human you can say hey man that's a nice coat oh yeah. i like a new hair color i yeah. like your new haircut whatever the case up. Yeah, exactly. up, you know yeah. and that's just you taking the focus off yourself and yeah. looking at other people's which is some of my mentors that i've had had talked about just those little small things you'd yeah. be surprised how much that add value to that person as well as to yourself wow i thought this whole section was going to be really dark and brooding but yeah. it turns out it was pretty enlightening it's so. kind of it's kind of hard because we're we're pretty happy guys you know <laughs> for the most part it's kind of hard That's to probably be, true you know i mean we we had our dark and brooding moments when yeah. we talked about it and and i thank you for allowing me to you know share a little bit of it yeah i think it's cool that, that i mean we're gonna we're gonna wrap up and I, I i can't thank you enough for sitting down with me always but no it's now fun, it's in a more formal you know two yeah. camera setting and, yeah, and terry it's been it's been great talking to you today and i know i expect to have you back on many many occasions um we'll talk, talk to my agent about that first. yeah exactly we'll talk <laughs> we'll talk about your film after after it's complete yeah, and the whole thing and we'll have you on and just kick ideas around yeah. but thank you so much for being on today thank you for having me it was great Absolutely. Always enjoy talking to you, John. Fantastico, baby. All right, All right man. <laughs> hey there, this is John. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival here at the CEF.world. Also want to say, hey, thanks, Terry, for being on the show. 